Okay, we're here with um, professional golfer, rancher, Twitter antagonist, podcast extraordinaire. What else? What else we need? Uh, that's more than I thought you'd say. <laughs> All right, John Peterson, uh, Fort Worth native and uh, good friend of the Hogan Foundation. So, welcome. Thanks for being here, John. Yeah, you bet. Happy to get going. Josie, do you have an icebreaker question for him? Um, oh, it's actually, a, it's a deep icebreaker question. Okay, perfect. What keeps you up at night? What keeps me up at night? Man, oh, wow. See, I wish y'all would have sent me like a list of stuff, like a little preview. <laughs> you know, it would have been nice to like, not catch me off guard. What keeps me up at night? Well, I've already, you know, grown up here. You mentioned it already. I grew up in Fort Worth, went to Pasco. Uh, actually known Judd for, I didn't even know he was going to be here, but I've known him for a long time. Um, back the colonial days um but what keeps me up at night I, I just i didn't think i'd have a pga tour career for one i never never thought i'd make it that far um so in my dreams and that was that was kind of something i could never get to but i got to uh what keeps me up at night now god i don't know my kids i've got four kids <laughs> and i have a five-month-old so she's keeping me up at night right now uh but other than that no, I've I've gone farther than I thought I could ever go, and uh, but other than my gaggle of children I have at the house, that's that's about it. That's a pretty good reason to keep up at night. I think mm -hmm. stay up at night. So let, let's kind of get into your career. Let's let's start from the beginning. As you mentioned, you're from Fort Worth, went to Pascal, grew up at Colonial, and um, so kind of let's. How did you first get into golf? Is your dad a golfer? Mom a golfer? No, that's a great question. I I didn't have a golf background. No one in my family really played. Uh, before we lived here in Fort Worth, I was kind of a nomad as a family. My dad was a salesman, still is a salesman. He's 65, been in sales for 40 years. What does he sell? Uh, he sells software. Okay. Yeah. And um, so, you know, stuff in the cloud, you can't really see it. You know, it's not really <laughs> something you can put your hands on, not tangible. My dad sells that. So uh, we were always moving around from town to town uh as a kid and I, I was born here downtown at harris in fort worth and then we moved from here to houston where my parents uh got on this public golf course and there would be i think we're on the sixth or seventh hole it was called sweetwater golf course i don't know if you heard of it down there but anyway we'd have guys come by and hit their golf balls into my yard i was <laughs> probably three or four at this point and i'd take them and then i'd collect them all up and then i'd you know, sit by the fence and try to sell them for a quarter back to them. That's and cool. the ones I didn't sell, I'd use and just, you know, whack around in the yard or whatever. And that's kind of how I got my start. It wasn't my dad bringing me out there and, and uh, making me hit balls or letting me hit balls, but I just kind of found it on my own. And, mm -hmm. and no one in my family is better than a 15 handicap, mm -hmm. but me. So right. uh, I just kind of chased it. And, and my parents were great, man. They, they let me do what I wanted to do yeah. at my own pace. Yeah. And they never forced me to do anything golf related that that I didn't want to do. Um, so I think that was part of it. You know, I didn't get pushed too hard to where yeah. I hated it. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, you know, sitting back at 33 years old and my golf days behind me, and now with my children, you know, I, I had a great example of, do I push them or do I not push them? I kind of saw the perfect middle ground and super grateful for that. You know, I think that with you, me, and Josie, we've all kind of grown up junior golf. Um, we've seen that kind of both sides of that parent. You know, you've seen the, you know, the kind of quintessential Earl Woods example of you know just grinding with this kid, and then and then you know 
it sounds like your dad was a lot like my dad that he just wanted me to have fun and kind of just rolled the ball out there and said, go have fun at it. So, and now that I have kids, I kind of go through the same thing you do is, you know, if your kid, my, my son's a little older, he's 12, but if he shows some talent, some interest in it, how far do you want to kind of push him along versus how far do you want to stand back? Because I, it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a hard thing as a parent. That's what keeps me up at night to answer Josie's question. Yeah. Keeps you up at night. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's a lot better than screaming in dirty diapers. <laughs> well, so you'll that, get to my stage. So. But yeah, no, it, it is. It's, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard fulcrum to balance on. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. how, how hard do you go against them and, and how hard do you, you know, or how little do you want to press them to, mm-hmm. to, to chase it? Cause their dreams might not be what your dreams were. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, my oldest son is five and he has, he does not care about golf. I'll mm-hmm. take, I took him to the little nine at Shady, uh, the other day. And all he wants to do is build sandcastles. Like Good, I yeah. put a, put a nine iron in his hand that I've made. It's a tour issue, <laughs> nine iron cut down to this long. And he just, he just doesn't care. Yeah. So, uh, but at my other son, who's, who's two, he seems to be a more right. aligned with, uh, with what I was when I was a kid. So maybe he's my he's my golfer. I don't know. I'm not going to force it on him, but you're right. It's it's, a, it's just funny it's to, to have, and this isn't a parenting podcast, but to have kids and use, and they, they come from the same people and they completely different. Right. And it's, that's the hard fulcrum to, to balance too. So, so at what point did you get to the point where you thought, man, I'm pretty good at this and, and I can play in college or I can go beyond that. Gosh, that would have had to have been my sophomore year at Pascal, probably uh, my freshman year. I was there with a team that was loaded of talent. We had, you know, these are all Fort Worth guys. Yep. It's a Fort Worth podcast. So these might be recognizable names to yeah. some of your listeners. I had Franklin Corporating was yep. a senior yeah. on my team. We had Austin Motherall mm-hmm. was on that team as well. Uh, Harry Haney, uh, Grant Given, Philip Hansen. And, and those guys, I played number five as a freshman. I was lucky to even be on varsity mm-hmm. as a freshman under Travis Wilson there. Learn from Franklin, learn from Austin. And uh, my sophomore year was when I made a, made a big jump. All those guys were gone and the team was looking for a new leader. And, you know, Trampus was, a, I don't know if you know, knew Trampus Wilson, mm-hmm. our coach. I mean, he was one of the guys that we'd run two miles down Barry and he'd be behind us in his truck, like pushing us the whole way. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it was, he was a football coach that taught golf. And a, a lot of our, our toughness came from him. And, and then I kind of was, I kind of was thrown into that role. I was the best returning player. All the yeah. seniors were gone. And um, I think a little bit of that adversity is as a 16 year old uh, helped me. Uh, I think I dropped a shot and a half that mm-hmm. year in my stroke. I went from like 74 as a freshman to 72 and a half. And um, that was my biggest jump. Yeah. That was when I, I thought that, you know, maybe I could play in college. Maybe mm-hmm. I could play at a small school or right, something. Right. And I just got a little better Yeah. every year. Was that a, is that a physical difference like you start hitting the ball further or is it more kind of mental confidence that kind of thing where you just pick it up i think it was a little of both um we had to run two miles three times a week for time right after lunch at pascal <laughs> this was our sixth period so like 20 minutes after lunch you ate your fried chicken and your rice <laughs> Nice. And you get on the track and you have to run two miles. Like my time, I think my freshman year, my time was 17 minutes for two miles. I graduated, it was 1230. Yeah. So, so we got good at that stuff and, and we got good at pressing ourselves. And there was a kid on the team named Grant Given that I never wanted to lose to, but mm-hmm. he was skinnier and he was faster. He, he flew like a feather down the track. Mm-hmm. And I, he was always beating me by like a hundred yards. Then one day I just said, screw it. I'm going to catch him. 
And mm-hmm. I caught him on that last bit, barely beat him. And uh, it was moments like that, I guess, that contributed to my toughness or or experience or whatever it was uh, my sophomore year that that really helped. But I think it, I think it was probably a little bit of both. My yeah. body was getting stronger. Um, I was maturing mentally, uh, and I certainly had the coaching to yeah. do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was your coach growing up? Golf coach? My swing coach? Yeah. Dana. Okay. Dana Ballinger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a good man. A couple years so, ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, so um, I know I'm skipping over some stuff, but so you, you go from Pascal to another purple school, LSU. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, what led you to LSU? Uh, there was a few things. Like I mentioned earlier, we moved around everywhere and uh, we went from here to Houston and then we went from Houston to Baton Rouge mm-hmm. uh, and then back here. So we kind of made a big square uh, from, from Louisiana and Texas. Uh, but I visited a bunch of schools. I visited Texas Tech with Coach Sands, uh, John Fields, Texas, Oklahoma State. And to be completely honest with you, I wanted to play my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I was told straight up by the two of those other three coaches that there's no chance I'd play my first year. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated their honesty. Sure. I'm just not sure that these days you could tell a 17-year-old kid yeah. straight in his face, like, you're just not good enough. Right. But back then, 15 years ago, that was status quo. Right. And I'm glad they did because I ended up going to LSU where I could play right away and played all four years. Mm-hmm. I missed one tournament. That was because I got an MIP uh, at, at the Tennessee game. But other than that, I mean. I didn't know that was even a thing in Louisiana to get my <laughs> Well, you got to work for it. You really do. I mean, you got to work to get one of those. But um, we missed one. I missed one event and uh and that was a big part of it. You know, I played all through Pascal and then played all through LSU. And I think all that tournament golf really helped me as a pro. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about when you went from high, from college, sorry, to like Q school what was your process? Gosh, that, that is, that was a really dark time. Um, Ooh, tell us more about that. Yeah. We went from, <laughs> I went from being a, a really good college player um, and, and just, couldn't miss felt like uh, my senior year at LSU and and then right away you know you go from playing team golf where you've got four guys traveling with you two coaches you've got strength coaches dietitians nutritionists at all these big schools they're all helping you you don't have to spend any of your own money you know mm-hmm. everything's taken care of and some of these schools like LSU's flying around in a Learjet to mm-hmm. their plane to their tournaments now um, so you go from living that lifestyle to all of a sudden you're turning pro and it's on your own dime. Maybe you've got, you know, a club contract. Maybe you do. I mean, I had 50 grand from Titleist. That's right. what I signed without a school, which was a hell of a contract back then. Right. Now it's, you know, now these kids are getting millions. But uh, graduated from LSU, signed with Titleist for 50 grand. And then you're on your own. Right. You know, I'm in Baton Rouge. I still live in Baton Rouge. My parents are here, but they've got, I've got three siblings that are all younger. So they're in college. They're worried about them. So I go to Q school and fail. I missed by two at first stage, not even second stage. And so I'm, you know, paid for it myself. I'm, I'm running low on money. Uh, started, you know, go through the, the fall of 2011 as a pro and have my own apartment in Baton Rouge, have expenses as well. And that 50 grand is getting down pretty low at this point, four or five months in. So it was Memphis, June of 2012 when the tide finally turned so i had gone almost a year uh and i was i mean i was down to like a thousand dollars 
maybe not even a thousand. I don't know. My, my rent was due at my apartment. I remember it was $1,100 and I just wasn't sure if it was going to happen. Mm -hmm. I signed up for a Monday qualifier in Memphis and I drove my sister's car, who was a cheerleader at LSU at the time, because I had this truck and mm -hmm. I wasn't, God forbid me get eight miles to the gallon all the way to <laughs> Memphis. So I drove her Camry up there, uh, shot 66 at Memphis to Monday qualify in for that boarded a plane that night to go to Columbus, Ohio for my sectional of the U.S. Open without playing a practice round the next day, finished second to get into the U.S. Open at Olympic, flew back to Memphis for the tournament because they did a Sunday qualifier at Memphis because mm -hmm. the U.S. Open oh. was on the Monday the next day. So made it through there, came back to Memphis, made the cut, finished like 60th made $12,000 that got me to the U S open the next week where I finished fourth. Yeah. And that was it. And that, that was my entire career in about eight months of my life made yeah. up the rocket I mean, ship takes off. Right. So it was it, it was, yeah. it was two weeks and so, here so, we are. So, so just go ahead. Josie. So just to um, explain, you were signed with Titleist. You got 50,000 to get you through the year. And then how many weeks right before that money was out, would you say, or entries before that many money was out? Did Ooh, you I probably turn it played, around? I probably played eight or nine events and maybe made two or three cuts on mini tours. Wow. These are mini tours. I mean, these are $1,500 a pop mm -hmm. and you got to stay there and, and they're gambling games. Yeah. Effectively. Right. I mean, you know, playing for your own money. Yeah. Playing yeah. for your own yeah. money. And I just fell flat on my face as a pro right away. And I just couldn't, couldn't play without my team. I was, I was just so in love with the team game and uh, had a real problem leaving it as a pro early. Yeah, I actually relate to that. I had similar struggles with leaving the team atmosphere, yeah. but you persevered through that year. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah you mentioned that it kind of brings up. Uh, so um, you kind of undersold your college career. You're NCAA individual champion, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is, the you know, pretty remarkable achievement. So, um, you know, there, there's kind of one aspect of you leaving the team game and, and you seem to me, what I know about you is you're, you're a good locker room guy. You like the hang, right? So, um, and I, I mean that in, in all the great ways that, you know, you, you, you kind of like the camaraderie of the game and, and for, for those of us that, that aren't, you know, robots, you know, that that's a hard part about the professional game is that you're out there, you know, you're eating, you know, at a bar at Chili's by yourself yeah. all the time, right? right. So, um, but so when you come off of a, after winning the individual title, and this is going to be a sensitive subject, but um, so you know, you kind of famously were left off the Walker Cup team. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, I, I've I've always heard that as a fact, but I don't really know the circumstances around it. So. Um, I don't want to relive any harsh memories no, here. Look, hey, I, I told you when I walked in here, we'd talk about whatever. Oh, okay. Well, I just, I've always been want. curious because it seems like to me that they will never ask me to be a Walker Cup captain, and they probably won't ask you either, I'm sure, at this point. <laughs> but um, if if I'm looking for um, guys that, that can handle pressure, NCAA individual champions are kind of high on my list. So um, so what what is your kind of your impression of, of how that happened and, and kind of where that left you afterwards? Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good snub. I remember. So they picked the team after the U.S. Amateur. Okay. Right. And in 2011, the U.S. Amateur was in August or so. So okay. I stayed an amateur through that summer because I figured I was a lock for the Walker Cup team. And, and where was you, the Walker Cup that year? It was overseas. It okay. was in Scotland. Or, okay. I don't yeah. remember somewhere over there, but 
uh, Jim Holgrieve mm-hmm. was the captain that year. Mm-hmm. And me and Jim had got along great. He he's was a Dallas at, guy, right? Or, he, no, or his son lives in Dallas, maybe. Yeah, yeah he's up in like, Detroit okay. or something. Okay. Anyway, okay. he's up there. He's not in Fort Worth. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, but we had gotten along great, and I'd seen him at pretty much every amateur event I'd played. And we were, we had beers together and, and all this. And, uh, I was, I think I finished the summer that year, fifth in the world amateur rankings. I was either fifth or sixth and like third in America. So the top 10 guys in America play, but there's no Ryder cup standings right. where it's these six guys are in no matter what. And then we're picking for them, right? It's they pick them all because it's the USGA and they're high and mighty. So they they didn't pick me. At the end of the day, they didn't pick me. And I found out in the worst way. I found out in the worst way. I would I had just lost in the fourth round of the US Amateur, third or fourth round to uh, Max Buckley from SMU at, uh, what's the name of it? Aaron Hills. <laughs> and so I'm back in Baton Rouge thinking, you know, waiting on the call any day, you know, welcome to the Walker Cup team. And so I, here's a, here's a phone call a number I've never seen before from Florida. I'm like, yes, this is it. We're going. And if you remember a guy by the name of Ron Balicki, he used mm-hmm. to work at golf week. Yep. They called him wrong, wrong Ron. But anyway, uh, I answer the phone and it's Ron. I'm like, that's weird. You know, why would a journalist call me to tell me that I'm on the walk team? He called me to do the opposite. He's oh, like, man. the news just came out. You're not on the team and you're not even an alternate. You're not even first or second alternate. And so, I didn't hear it from the USGA. I didn't hear it from the captain. I didn't hear it from anyone on the team. I didn't hear it from anyone involved with the Walker Cup. I yeah. heard it from a third party. Right. And that was pretty tough. But they left me off because of, I don't know, I've always been a, a fun-loving guy. I like to drink beer and hang out with my friends. Right. And, and, you know, I, I think they thought that my personality wouldn't fit with the team, which was ironic because half of the team were from the SEC and right. some of my best friends yeah. out there. Yeah. So. They went over there and they got their asses beat. So (laughs) it wasn't a a horrible deal. But yeah, I I was pretty mad about that for a while. And I think I I let it kind of dig at me, uh, even into my first few months as a pro. It was kind of hard to hard to swallow. So that's kind of what leads me to the question. How do you feel like you're motivated? Are you you feel like you're more extrinsically motivated? You're motivated by that kind of stuff, like slights like that? Or because I know that some people don't need that. They need they have it all in inside them. But, you know, there's guys like uh, Tiger and maybe you and other people that that take that and they, they remember and Michael Jordan's famous for doing that, remembering mm-hmm. everything everybody's ever said to him as a motivation. Do, do you use that or is that kind of um, you put it in the past at some point? Well, I would say for the next year after maybe two years after that happened, that was definitely in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, it was tough. I mean, you're, you're a 20, 21, 22 year old kid. You're really not fully emotionally matured at that point, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And to, to have something stripped from you that you really set your entire career up to, to get. I mean, right. if you can put Walker Cup team member on your resume, there's not a job in the world that'll decline you. I mm-hmm. mean, you're looked at as, you know, one of the uh, most respected individuals in the golf world yeah you're an olympian basically right in in golf yeah yeah yeah. yeah. so um when that u.s open qualifier came around the next year and i could had had the opportunity to really stick it to the usga uh i think that's what kept me in contention on sunday Mm -hmm. even as a local and then sectional qualifier uh and that was that was probably a big part of why i finished top five there at olympic 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, um, us, I'll call it casually knowing each other at that time, that was probably one of my favorite moments about that that U.S. Open at Olympic was your hole-in-one on 15, right? 13. 13, sorry. Uh, 13. Um, and... I just remember in that I just remember how um, happy I was for you because it was right on the heels of this Walker Cup deal, and just it seemed like man, um, there is a screenwriter out there writing this story for him right now, right? And and, and it may not have ended like, um, but it was kind of a I don't know, kind of a ten cup kind of moment for me, uh, yeah. just kind of watching it from afar. Um, so, at what point does that kind of cross your mind when you're? You're walking up 14 fairway thinking holy holy cow i'm 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 doing this so well i remember the beginning of that week i actually got in a wreck in the courtesy car it was those one hundred thousand dollar big lexus sedans and they gave one to every one of us and i got in a wreck i hit this lady i rear-ended her on the exit to our hotel and i'm like fantastic i'm already broke like there's <laughs> no way i can pay for this and Alexis, you know, for that matter. And so we got out, we got out and it's her and her husband and she like barely can stand. Oh God. And I'm like, oh, great. She's drunk. She's drunk. Perfect. Oh, so the cops come and it's not my fault anymore because she's drunk. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. The, the week's off to a good start. You know, that was going to yeah. be my fault. Now it's not. So then we roll into Wednesday and they give you when you when you qualify for these majors they give you these weekly passes and they give you I think eight or nine of ten of them I don't mm -hmm. know and those, those are expensive so I was like man here's an easy way to make a couple of grand so we went down to the lobby and sold them like sold all of our extra passes just so we had some runaround money money was hard right. Thursday played good Friday came good and uh, and then paired with David Tom's on Saturday and, and make the hole in one on thirteen and. David Tom's my idol. Yeah. I love David Tom's. He helped me a ton when I was at LSU. Still to this day, we, we talk all the time. He's come on for the people. Um, and and then Sunday, I was paired with Retief Goosen in about the fourth to last group as a 22-year-old with no major experience and somehow hung in there and, and finished top five. Yeah, it was Yeah. It was quite the week for me. That's great. And so that, so that gets you from there. So after that, you, you, you finish top five in U.S. Open. Where does that lead for you for the rest of the year? What, what, so what does that get you into? Well, now it gets you into a lot more okay. than, it, than it did then. Um, if you finish top eight, you get to play the Masters the next year. Okay. So I had about a 20-footer on 18. If I made it, I'm clubhouse leader. Mm -hmm. If I two putt, I know I'm in the Masters. If I three putt, I'm out of the Masters. <laughs> so it was quite the conundrum in my head. Like, how do I how do I go about this? You know, I knew all three scenarios too, and they got this little boom camera coming over your head. Right. You know, all all sorts of things playing out here. But I, I, it's fine. I just like I lagged it up there to this far mm -hmm. and tapped it in. A, you know, maybe not going to get to play the Masters ever again. So I figured might as well lock that up, not try to win the US Open this time. <laughs> you know, 18-year-old me would have, would have probably tried to ram that thing in. But uh, no, I, I wanted to play Augusta. That's great. That's so amazing. so the next year you go to Augusta. So what, what is that like, the first experience where you – I assume – was that your first time to play it? It was. Augusta, okay. Yeah. So you show up on Monday before the tournament week? Uh, no, no, it's Augusta, man. Okay. And there's Saturday before okay, tournament. Okay, week. perfect. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but before then, when you qualify for the Masters, uh, once you get your invite in the mail, yeah, you can go play a practice round. Okay. So, with a member or just, but you anytime. can just show up. You can play anytime, but if you want to bring a guest, you have to have a member. Gotcha. Okay. To play with you. 
so I played, God, I probably played from January to April. I probably played eight times mm-hmm. from that, from in that three month span. And I'll say Augusta national, you, you've probably heard this before from RP or one of those guys that that place is tougher in February than it is during the tournament. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like this, it's 50 degrees yeah. raining, it's soggy, it's slow. I mean, I had four iron and 18 yeah. in oh, February. Wow. wow. And I had eight iron in during the tournament. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it was my first time. Uh, you rent a house there. There's no hotels. Yeah. You know, you have, you cook at home. I had my whole family with me, my my brothers, my sisters, mom, dad, my trainer, Colby Tuye was there. I had my best buddies from Baton Rouge there. It was, it was a hell of a week. You know, I always get a kick out of you on Masters Week on Twitter because uh, <laughs> you always post that you were the leader leader through one hole that that's right? right yeah yeah that's right so you're damn right i'm gonna take that to my grave too i led the masters you know how favorite. many people walking around here can say they led the masters it's it's, yeah. it's funny my, my my similarly my brother um qualified for the u.s junior amateur like in 92 and he beat ryan palmer up in amarillo and ryan is probably two or three year, years younger than my brother but every time ryan takes a lead in a pga tournament i get that damn picture from my brother of <laughs> The leaderboard of him beating ryan palmer and um i'm like well i think we should compare career earnings yeah, at this point, so. right, right. So, yeah no i can't hang with most of those guys on earnings but uh yeah i did lead the masters that's great good for you hang my hat on that well you, you can yeah. certainly hang with my brother on career earnings you, you beat him out so, <laughs> okay. so um so um and then from the masters kind of what, what happens from there so you um you you have your card full the full year of that year no no i so was you, actually the only probably will be the only because they changed the criteria. But uh, to this point, I'm the only Corn Ferry Tour member to have played the Masters. Wow. wow. So I wasn't on the PGA Tour that year. Okay. I was, I went from Santiago, Chile to Lafayette to Augusta. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Now that's a hell of a run. Yeah. We went from, actually it was Panama. We went from Panama to Bogota, Colombia, to Santiago, Chile, to Lafayette, Louisiana. To Augusta National. Wow. The Midland, there was a Midland week, a Midland event okay. during yeah. the week of the Masters. I skipped that yeah, one. Yeah, probably a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can go to Midland anytime, probably. Right. So when, when you finish backing up a little bit to the U.S. Open, when you finish fifth, is that, do you start to get um, agent calls and the, 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 the opportunities kind of flood in a little bit more as far as endorsements and those kind of things? Or Not really. Not really. And, and, and I had already had management at that point and, I asked them the same thing. Maybe I just had terrible management. Like I, I didn't really have any new opportunities. Okay. I got a couple of sponsor exemptions after that into uh, John Deere gave me one. And then uh, the Mexico event mm-hmm. on, on tour down in Mayacoba, they gave me one too. Okay. Uh, but no, it was it was not a flood of sponsorships or or endorsements back then. I mean, that was 10 and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And back then, if you remember, the guys that were the can't miss guys, they're in their forties. Like it was it was thought to be thirties and forties were right. your prime golf years. Yeah. So me as a twenty two year old, they were like, Oh, it's one time. You know, right. He can't do it again. And that was the mindset. So I feel as if if that happened now, if some kid from from some school local sectional finishes fourth in a US Open, I I feel as if that kid's gonna explode. It, it, it is amazing to me that how the professional game has changed in that way. You know, and I, I'm, I'm on the Hogan Award Committee at Colonial and just, you know, every year, you know, you look back at that trophy and you see some names you recognize. But now the guys that, 
that are finalists, like uh, um, like people that win NCAA individual titles and those kind of things, they are ready to win from day one mm -hmm. on tour. And I, I don't know mm -hmm. if that's I it, I can't be. I'm sure some of it's a physical difference because the train's a little bit different in the in the colleges now. But it's got to be just a, a confidence mental issue that they they're ready to roll earlier. So, yeah, we we've talked about this a ton, and and I feel as if it's these kids nowadays. When I was growing up, okay, waiting weird. Oh. <laughs> Might have hit something on the table. What is this thing made out? <laughs> uh, no, it, it has. I, th I feel as if these kids growing up nowadays, they have all this information available mm -hmm. to them. They mm -hmm. have TrackMan, and they have you know, what's their spin rate? What's their launch? You know, what's their launch angle at? What's their descent angle? They have all this information at a young age that we never right. had. Yeah, you know, it took me and you and you, Josie, thousands of golf balls to learn a new shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. These kids get on a track, man, they're like, all right, I want to flight it down. I'm going to lean it yeah. one shot. Yeah. You yeah. know exactly yeah. what to do. But so sitting on that range at Colonial as a 12-year-old, 13-year-old, you had to you had to sit there all day to try to learn a new shot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You get home and you'd have blisters all over your fingers. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Your hands are bleeding. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It was a different game. And I, th I think these kids are stronger. They're smarter. They know more information. I mean, it's... They've got coaches when they're, if they're able to, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old, these, these right. kids have swing coaches and they're eating, right? Maybe they're not as fun to hang out with, yeah. right? But they're definitely more capable of winning right out of college. than they, That's why you see these kids at one or two years, they're gone. Yeah. You know, Sam Burns at LSU. Right. Two years. See you later. Right. Haskins award winner. I'm gone. Yep. Yeah. And nobody can blame him. Look what he's done now. He's won Colonial. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's going to be a Ryder Cupper next year. And Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, I think that's great. I also kind of worry a little bit about the game as far as um, are we taking the art out of it a little bit, right? And putting too much science into it. And, and you know, from what I've seen of you play, um, I think you're you're an artist out there, right? You kind of enjoy the the challenge of different shots mm -hmm. and, and shot making, and that's why you play. I think that's why you played well at Olympic. Uh, that's a shot maker's golf course. It's it's probably why you did well on hard golf courses, right? um or you play big events um and i just I, I wonder sometimes about some of the some of these kids that get so locked into the numbers whether that they're losing a little bit of that so yeah i mean the, the, these kids are trying to fly at 320 and and uh nowadays you can because the golf ball doesn't move mm -hmm. right we're growing up the golf ball spun a lot and you could make you could make it look cool right right you right. could sit there and bend it around a tree or hit it at a hawk's nest or mm -hmm. whatever you wanted to do and and now you hit this you hit these range balls and tee it up as high as you can and send it and wherever it starts that's usually where it's going to go right um colonial you always see good shot makers win there yeah you always do and they ha you have to be mm -hmm. right to, to, to play well around that place and that's why you see an odd winner yeah. i think sometimes at colonials that's a guy that grew up playing real golf right right and, you right. Know, chris kirk went in there perfect example kevin nah these guys kisner yep kisner these yep. guys are artists yep with the golf club and a golf ball um you don't see bombers win there. I think even Daniel Berger, like mm -hmm. people, people think Daniel Berger, you know, they think, oh man, he just bombs it, putts good. No, I've played with him multiple times. That dude is very creative. He can hit this low, like two iron looking thing that you could hang clothes on that goes 250 <laughs> yards. Mm -hmm. And uh, no, that man's an artist too. Everybody that wins at Colonial is. And I think you're right. I, I think part of that is being lost. Yeah, yeah. So after the Masters, you, you kind of you, you pieced together a schedule. You, you played Colonial that year, and then mm -hmm. and you played um, some other tour events that year. 
Um, when did you start having kind of injury issues? When did that come about? That was, gosh, actually, I remember the week. It was it was the Memorial in 2015. Okay. And I was in the middle of my best year. I'd only missed one cut from September to May. Wow. And in there was nine top 25s, I think. No wins, mm -hmm. obviously. But I think I was 30th or 35th in the FedEx Cup. I was top 40 yeah. without a win. And I was playing with kids, actually, and David Lingmurth in 2015 at the Memorial. And I had been taking six to eight Advil every day okay. to play wow. golf on this right wrist. That's actually bleeding because they have a hazardous table here <laughs> in their studio. But um, in this right wrist, I'd been taking Advil because it was bad in here. Mm -hmm. And it, it got to the point that week I took 10 on oh. Friday. Okay. And I took six when I woke up. By the time I'd made the turn, it was killing me. I was going to miss the cut. So mm -hmm. I took four more. Mm -hmm. And I wow. shot 31 on the back and still missed by two. So that was my second cut of the year. I said, screw it. I'm going to shut it down and get it figured out. I went to I went to Eric Roden mm -hmm. uh, here in Fort Worth and had surgery on it. Uh, and that was pretty much it for that year. I ended up like 90th in the FedEx Cup without playing more. I think I played one or two events mm -hmm. after that, but they were three months later. And that, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me and kind of a sad deal. You know, I, I think I could have really made a lot of noise that year, mm -hmm. uh, which as well as I was playing. Right. Um, I think I, I locked my card up for the, the year in like March mm -hmm. in San Antonio. And so that gives you six months of yeah. gravy, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. And then for that to happen, it was two torn ligaments in my right wrist. I don't know if I said that, but two torn ligaments in my right wrist. They fixed it. Um, I came back and, and it was just never the same. So as a, you were 26 around then? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So as a 26 year old that has a wrist injury, I'm trying to think as a, as a 44 year old that has a wrist injury, I'm thinking, well, I'll probably just have to cut it off. But um, as at, at a 26 year old, are you, are you that summer, are you, you're, you've been on this heater for a year almost of, mm -hmm. of your best golf. And it looks like that the sky's the limit for your career. Are you worried about your career at that point? Or is it just like, I just got to get through this rehab and then it's going to kind of start back up? I was worried about it. Yeah. I was worried about it. Um, probably because it was just unknown. And, and that's one of the things that I guess you asked what keeps me up at night, you know, mm -hmm. some of the unknown things about life in general, but this was a big unknown for me, a big unknown for my career and something I'd, I'd never dealt with injury before. Mm -hmm. I'd never dealt with, uh, sure. I'd miss cuts and, and all that and lost a bunch of money here and there, you know, but I'd never been hurt like right. bad. Uh, to where, you know, it was cast and you can't play golf. And I, all of a sudden I went two and a half months without touching a club. I hadn't done that since I was five, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm 26 and this is my career. So yeah, I was, I was a little scared, a little nervous about what would happen. And then came back and played that fall, played, uh, three events. One of them being the Malaysian event where a happy Gilmore did off the first tee. And, <laughs> and that was pretty much my last highlight of my career. <laughs> so, uh, I, I ended up finishing that year and, and lost my card because I just, it just was, I was never the same. It still hurt. And, um, they were recommending another surgery and I wasn't going to do that. I just wasn't going to keep getting caught on. And so I, I shut it down, uh, that next year uh, for, for what was that? 2017 for a couple months did stem cells 
here okay. with uh, Dr. Steven Myers, and that helped. Okay. That helped a lot. So I was able to come play in 17. And I guess it was two more years. I played 17, 18, and 19. And then 19 was the last tour event I ever played. Okay. And what, what, what year did you and Amanda get married? We got married, God, that was December of 2016. So it'll okay. be six years in a couple of weeks. Okay. So yeah, and this is not certainly not to blame Amanda, but I always feel like that, that does change perspectives about <laughs> career, does. right? That, that yeah. like, um, you know, you're going to, I'm going to continue to fight through pain and fight through all this stuff and be on the road alone when I know that I have um, a loving wife back at home. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point we're going to have kids and I want to spend time with them. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and I know that was kind of a big deal for you. Um, kind of when you decided to kind of hang it up is that you had that perspective rather than just, I, I can keep beating my head against the wall for, for years. And maybe, right. some, maybe that rock will take off again, but maybe it won't. So, yeah, that, that was a lot of it too. Judd is, is, I, I love, I like, like I said earlier, I mean, team golf was my thing and pro golf was fine. I mean, it was, it was great at times, but there are certainly a lot more lows than there are highs out there. Guys that say it's all, you know, everything's the best. It's all fairies and roses out there. They're lying to you. There's, mm -hmm. there's plenty of times and you've been out there. I mean, didn't you recruit for a while for colonial or have, did you ever go out? There I did some of that stuff a yeah. little bit. Yeah. I mean, it, there, there's guys out there that, that, that hate themselves mm -hmm. 24 seven. You know, I mean, it's, and I was one of those guys for a while. Like it is just ninth, ninth week in a row on the road. I mean, you're talking 50 something days here gone. You know, there, there's a guy, Sung JM doesn't even have a house. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even have a house. He just lives in hotel rooms. Right. He doesn't have anything, Yeah, but he's a multimillionaire because he's on the PJ tour. So uh, there are, there were times out there where I had a blast. Obviously the U S open was great. There were Phoenix was awesome. Final group there with Spieth and boo weekly. Um, there was a few other times in there that were just awesome times where my family, where Amanda came out, my parents came out, my dad's Fort Worth, my, my dad's from Fort Worth, my granddad's from Fort Worth, you know, I'm third generation Fort Worth. My granddad was at Colonial. He sold us the membership when we moved back here for $2,500. Mm -hmm. No brainer. That's, that's how I got started. But, but yeah, there's certainly a lot of, a lot of highs, but I would say there's more, there's more lows and it just wasn't for me. Yeah. It just wasn't for me at the end of the day. I don't want to be gone 30 weeks a year. I didn't even want to be gone 10 weeks a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I got married and then, I mean, we had a honeymoon baby nine months later. Uh, she's been pregnant since our, since we got married pretty much. <laughs> um, but we have four kids now and there's, there's no way, right. there's just no chance. I could, I could ever do that again, nor do I want to. Yeah. I just, I, I don't want to do it. I don't have to do it. Uh, but for that point in my life from 2012 to 2019, I'm glad I did it. Yeah. And I know that there's guys out there that love it, obviously, mm -hmm. but there's also, um, I think the, the, the disparity between perception of playing on tour and reality is probably as wide as any other professional sport, just because I don't think people, you know, think about, you know, I, I used to hear, well, what's wrong with going around and playing gorgeous golf courses all mm -hmm. the time? It's like, well, because yeah. at some point, San Francisco looks like Memphis mm -hmm. and Memphis looks like Oak Hill or whatever the case may be. Good way to put it. Right. Yeah. And, um, and it's a it's a and it's a lonely existence, you know. And and it, it isn't. I, I, I'm you and I have both been on guys trips where you call your wife and maybe like we had a great time, and she's dealing with crying kids, and the last thing she wants to hear about is your great time, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's I can imagine that every week like that when you say hey I made this great shot and you hear some kid crying in the background it's not it's not a lot of fun to tell your wife that you right. know. Um, right. So I, I I do think that that's a um, 
you know, that's a mature decision at some point to, to, to hang it up and, and to kind of overcome your childhood dreams to say, this isn't for me anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I, I wonder about how, how, was there a moment or just kind of a gradual moment or how did that work with, with that decision? Gosh. So there were, there were two times where I quit, right? I quit in 20, uh, after Greenbrier in 2017. So my brother-in-law Bryce was caddying for me. The whole family was there. We rented out one of those little casita deals on, on the, uh, property. And so I needed to finish 13th to keep my card. I think it was solo 13th, they said. And so go, I make it like an eight footer that breaks a foot left to right on Friday to make the cut, make yeah. birdie. And so we get to the weekend, we're all happy. And then Saturday I shoot around even and Sunday rolls around and I need a miracle, you know, I mean like 30th right. or something. And I make the turn at four under par and everybody's starting to get super nervous. Like, oh my God, is he gonna do it? Me, I'm just like, you know, I'm rolling with house money. This is, my decision's already made. Sure. If I don't make it, I'm done. If I do make it, I'll keep going. Right. So I shoot, I think shoot six under for the day. It was like 60, 66 or 65. I can't remember the par out there. But when I finish, I'm in ninth. And there's probably two hours of groups left at this point. And the conditions are getting harder. It's, pick, it's firming up. Wind's getting, getting stronger. Uh, and I had made another eight footer on 18 um, to, to, to polish off at 66. And so we're all celebrating in the, in the house. I'd got a couple bottles of wine and we're drinking, drinking wine, having a good time. And an hour goes by and I check it again and I'm still in ninth. I'm like, mm -hmm. awesome. Like we're, I only got what, five groups left and here it comes. Check it again, 10, 11, 12. <laughs> And then I'll never forget it. I won't forget it. Bubba Watson, who has played horrible all day long. They do this projected FedEx Cup standings, right? You, mm -hmm. you can see it you know, in real time. He's played horrible. He's like four or five over for the day and he lives there. He's on 18 and he's got this 45 footer across the green and he just slaps it and it goes in and it pushes me from like 12th to tied for 13th. Oh. I miss, I miss my, 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 I miss keeping my PGA Tour card by, 0.25 FedEx oh, wow. Cup points that day mm -hmm. because of that because of that putt. Wow. And I went from drinking wine and like having a great time to flipping tables and throwing <laughs> bottles everywhere. But it was just a wild, wild emotional day. And and so I have nothing at this point. Don't have status, you know, after everybody been high fiving me and congratulating me. So I quit. You know, I quit that time. And mm -hmm. uh and then another year and a half goes by and I still have status on the corn ferry tour. So Amanda's like, she, it was her idea. She was like, go play, mm -hmm. just use it see what happens. I was like, all right. So I start gearing up at shady and start, start practicing a bunch and hitting a lot of balls. Like I used to, and my wrist starts hurting again. Oh, it's yeah. not this wrist though. It's this one. And I'm like, man, maybe I'm just born with inferior wrists or something <laughs> like I can't figure this out. So I go and I practice, I work hard and, and uh, play my events on the corn ferry tour and my wrist is just killing me again mm -hmm. this one though and at that point i said this is it like this is a sign i i don't need to be doing this anymore uh i miss my kids miss my family and um it was just time yeah. that was right. that was july of 2019 that was the last event i played so earlier you, was, you were saying that you would collect golf balls and sell them right mm -hmm. so you were always an entrepreneur at heart like what was your next step after you decided 
you were going to go somewhere else. What was plan B? Plan B? Well, I didn't really have a plan B uh, at that point. I was, I was always the guy on the PGA Tour that was staying at Hampton Inn and eating chilies and eating Outback Steakhouse and these cheaper places that no one would go because mm-hmm. I had been broke. I didn't want to be broke again. Mm-hmm. Being broke is terrible. <laughs> so I didn't want to be broke. And I, I was trying to ensure that whenever the gravy train with biscuit wheels was over, I wouldn't be broke. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad I did that. Moral of the story, like when I was done, pretty much all I had made, I had saved or bought a house, something that appreciates. I, I wasn't mm-hmm. ever buying cars or or flying private. I mean, I was in 35E back by the bathroom most yeah. of the time. You know, I was not You're doing not an extravagant thing. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> like I, I knew, you know, I'd seen my dad struggle, you know, and I had seen how that was and I didn't want that. And so every dollar I made, I, I tried to save. So it had, I had a little bit of a buffer mm-hmm. there where from July of 19, I think I, I got, I took a job selling uh, drill bits in the oil and gas industry uh, in January of 2020. I did that for, I didn't like it. I did that for a few months and then we started for the people and that's, we've been doing that for two and a half years now. And uh, we just passed a million downloads, a million listens, I guess that was a couple months ago. And right. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's been good. Uh, it's been really good around Fort Worth here. People seem to love it. Um, you know, Colleen's a star of the show. It's just me in the background just trying to heckle him half the time. But uh, if you're not familiar with For the People, y'all's listeners, it's it's a, it's a podcast as well. Yeah. Uh, no, can you plug, tell plug us where, yeah. where they can find you? Yeah. I mean, it's it's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find For the People, just like you can find here on the Ben Hogan Perseverance podcast. It's uh, it's out there for everyone to, to listen to. But we've been doing that for two and a half years, had some, had some good guests, you know, some We've had Kisner and Sam Burns, David Toms. I mean, you name it. If you know what, we stuck with one brand. That's yeah. what we've done. We yeah. stuck with one brand of guy. You're not gonna. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna have a Colin Morikawa on there, right? You know, yeah. we're, we're not gonna have a Billy Horschel for sure. You know, <laughs> but we will have the Kevin Kisners, the Harry Higgs, um, and we'll have guys like that 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 we know will sit there and and hang out and and shoot us straight. So. And then you said it was fun. for the people. F O R E, the people, yeah. right? We'll play on words yeah. there. Yeah. There you go. Well, I think, you know, uh, I think what people like about you and JJ is that y'all, unlike some of the other golf podcasts where it's it's guys that have never been inside the ropes, at least to compete, um, and have all these hot sports opinions about what they should show on TV and what, what this kind of stuff. You guys have both been in that fire, right? But you're also two guys that I think, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but probably have, have feels like people have kind of, y'all haven't been the chosen ones, you know, you're not the, I love Jordan, but you're not the Jordan Spieth of the world. Right. right? And, and you're kind of the um, kids that everybody kind of wanted, like the Walker cup, everybody kind of wanted to keep out of the party. And, mm-hmm. and JJ's kind of this nomad from, I don't know if he's from San Diego or Fort Worth <laughs> or Lubbock or wherever he says he's from. Um, but it, 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 I just had, you, you guys are, you, you don't, um, you don't strike me as, as guys that always knew you're going to, make it on tour and so i think there's a unique perspective to that because mm-hmm. i mean that, that kind of fits in with our uh, you know mr hogan was kind of like that too where where you would look at him walking on the street and be like there's no way that guy's a professional athlete right no offense but uh, sure. I, I think that um 
Um, that's what's I think interesting about your your all's podcast is that you have guys like that, Kevin Kisner, guys that just go out there and do it, and mm -hmm. they're bulldogs, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, I, I think your story kind of speaks to why you are a bulldog like that. That's why I wanted to bring up the Walker Cup deal because I just th think that's interesting. You know, I, I don't care about the guys that were automatic picks. Th those guys they're going to get their pub, you know, but I think the guys like you that probably deserve to be on that weren't, that's a more interesting story to me. Well, so. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. no, it was, uh, it was tough for, for a little while. Cause all those guys that played on that team were all, like I say, they were all buddies of mine. You know, it was, it was Harris English, Russell Henley, Peter Uline, Morgan Hoffman, um, Patrick Cantlay, like those, those guys were all friends of mine. And for them to give the reason, like I didn't fit in, in the locker room, it was total BS. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I never, I never will know why I got left off, and you know, it's, I've come to peace with that. I yeah, guess, sure. At this no, point, and, and I don't mean to keep bringing it up. I, I just, I just think it's one piece of your story. But I, um, so, how does it feel now that you guys? I, I do feel like you, you and JJ, mm -hmm. through your podcast, through Red Feather uh, up in Lubbock, and through some of your online lessons, and I think just through your Twitter, are having a, a unique impact on the game of golf, and and. Um, and that's interesting coming from you because I there's sometimes I follow you on Twitter. I'm like, I don't even really know if this guy likes golf. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I think we all have kind of that love hate relationship with it. Right. Um, but I do think it's um, I, I wonder how you guys have have you been able to wrap your arms around what your impact is on the game at this point and kind of where the game's headed. I don't think so, Judd. I, I, I really don't. I think we think I think J if you asked me and Colleen, we were sitting right here if our impact has been felt by the golf world, I, I think neither one of us would say yes. Like I, I just, I just do things that I find entertaining that I think people will think is entertaining mm -hmm. and, and maybe teach them something along the way, but I'm not trying to have a million followers. Like I'm trying to have the people that follow me actually like what I'm doing. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to make friends with everyone. I learned a long time ago that I'm not going to be doing that. So right. like, we want the guys that like us to really like us right. and we want the people that don't like us to follow foreplay or whatever they want to do with their golf media. But Colleen's very, he's a hilarious dude. Yeah. You know, he, by Absolutely. nature, he's just funny. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't consider myself a funny guy, but I feel as if the 25 years of golf knowledge that I have, especially at the highest level of the world at major championships and um, it can help people. Mm -hmm. And, and I try to make it entertaining today. I went and filmed a bunch of stuff on the little nine at Shady and I'll put it out, you know, once or twice a week. But some of those videos, especially the suck less at shipping one with right. the seven iron, I mean, that's got like 200,000 views. Mm -hmm. I didn't make it to have 200,000 views. I just made it to be entertaining and informative. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep it super simple, you know, like a fifth grader could right. understand it. So, mm -hmm. um, because I think a lot of people can really overcomplicate the game especially teachers. Teachers can really overcomplicate the game, speak at a, a level their student can't understand, it's, you know, position here, position there, put the club here, there. No, it's yeah. it's really not that tough when you get down to it. Well, I, I think that you guys are unique in the podcast world because it's, you, I think you either get with golf podcasts, either highly technical instruction, or you get kind of the um, snarky, like, the, you know pga tour gossip kind of columns right mm -hmm. and i think you guys um when you say i don't know what impact we've had i think that you've probably seen your impact from people that you know they're friends of yours that finally get this kind of peek inside the curtain a little bit that they normally wouldn't get they're not mm -hmm. they're not going to get from some of the other i don't want to run down other podcasts but some of the other podcasts yeah. that are more focused on 
what is what's life like on the PGA Tour now? And I think um, where you guys have captured is what is it like getting there? And then what's it like when you roll off of there? You know, what it was life like for a professional golfer that no longer plays on the PGA Tour? Because mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of like being an Aggie. You never die. Uh, you, you, know, you never stop being an Aggie. You're always a professional golfer, no matter if you're playing for money or not, right? Isn't that what Aggie say? That, I, I think they say I, some I, weird I, stuff. I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. My brother's an Aggie too, so I can say that. I, <laughs> Well, so uh, what, what's next? For, I, I know that you uh, are now um, going to be a commercial pilot or something. You're, you're, That's right. You're, yeah. you're, 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 uh, you're taking commercial pilot license, right? It's or, nationwide, right? Nationwide aviation. At nationwide, yeah. yeah. Do, you know, do you know about I nationwide? I took flying lessons, though. Did you really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, people are great. So yeah. I'm, a, I'm a private pilot now. Uh, my instrument rating check ride is in a couple weeks. So nice. hopefully I'll be instrument rated in a couple weeks. But after that, yeah, after you get your instrument rating as a private pilot, you know, you can go as far as you want after that. You know, your commercial's really not not that that tough. You know, the ratings get a little bit easier. The first two are the hardest, you know, commercial yeah. or private pilot and instrument. But yeah, I got a little bitty weed eater airplane that I fly around and- Are you yeah. flying um, with Ben? Have I flown with Ben? Yeah. I haven't flown yeah. with Ben yet, no. no. Um, but Ben Ben's big time though. He's got a King Air and, and uh, I'm not, I'm not gonna touch that price yeah. tag. So I'll fly my little weed whacker around Lubbock and I go check it. Red Feather out. But it's it's been a blast though. Is it uh, as a hobby or something that you could, could turn into more? I don't judge the the reason that I got it, that I'm doing it is I'm constantly learning. Yeah. I'm constantly learning something new. Yeah. That I have known I couldn't spell airplane a year ago. Right. And mm -hmm. I started in December last year and you know it's almost it's been a year and uh, I felt like I was getting stagnant as a person, mm -hmm. even with the podcast and, and four kids and stuff. You know, I, I found myself mowing grass at the farm with, on the tractor a lot of the times. I'm like, man, I'm just not learning anything. I'm not progressing as a right. human being. And I've always had an interest in aviation, mm -hmm. always wanted to become a pilot. So I just said, screw it, I'm going to do it. And you know what? It's the only thing that's replicated the adrenaline rush of high level PGA Tour golf. Mm -hmm. oh, that, that first solo. Have oh, you, did it's you first solo? landing. No, not yet. I okay. need to. Well, that yeah. Thoughts and prayers to you that day. Yeah, but it is. It was actually yeah. It's tough. <laughs> it is. But did you get your shirt cut? Oh yeah. Oh, there you oh, yeah. go. I left it there. It's on the back. You did. The back room. Yeah, you'll see it. It's a repeat farm and ranch shirt. It's got a run runway on the back. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but um, it's the only thing that I've found that's been able to replicate the adrenaline and the satisfaction of doing it exactly how I was supposed to. Mm -hmm. you know and, and it's such a small runway there too so you have to looks like a cart and, path yes it's absolutely <laughs> tiny yeah um it's right over the highway gosh mm -hmm. that takes a lot of bravery i well, need to get back into it you should you yeah. should finish at least private pilot it is uh it's a journey that i recommend to, to anyone that's interested in it um it's expensive it is expensive, it is expensive. but you do it one time and you're done yeah right? it's also incredible for you though because um going to get your pilot license requires a lot of self-trust and you in every career that you've done you know with your podcast with your golf even you know through friendships that you've talked about or pilot license you've you are really good at trusting your instinct and trusting yourself and that I, for me that really shines through and like discussing things with you and just hearing about your story well thank you uh, really... if you ask me about my attributes i i would not say that i appreciate that though that's i do i guess i do trust myself i don't know mm -hmm. i i feel as if uh you've got to be first 
yourself, you know, it, my dad always, he always used to say, he still does say it all the time. He says, if you want it done right, do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I guess I can't go fly a 737 full of 200 people right now, but, you know, if I want to go, go somewhere I can go myself. And right. he's always been a DIYer and I'm naturally a DIYer. And uh, it really makes Amanda mad sometimes because, you know, she <laughs> she gets these bids to, you know, grout the, out the shower again or something and i'll have it done when she yeah. comes home the next day and she's like who'd you get to do that i was like i did it she yeah. was like it was a thousand dollars i did it for 80 you know <laughs> like awesome. uh, stuff like you mowing your own grass right. and, and and doing all of the stuff that you could probably afford to not do yourself but doing it yourself is something my dad kind of instilled in me as a young kid and i think yeah i think you're right i think that probably drove me to to get as far as i did mm-hmm. and uh, even into aviation so when was the first time you flew the family around? I haven't. Okay. Amanda won't let me. Okay. She hasn't let me fly anyone. My family, Amanda or my kids, I haven't flown them. Yeah. But I've flown my brother, my sister, my dad's flown with me a couple of times. My mom's come with me. I've flown all of them. But okay. um, there's just something about something about it, Amanda's a little yeah. weirded out so far. I'm not a great flyer. Like, I don't like to fly. So it, it would so be- John's, she should be the next pilot. You mean the <laughs> co-pilot. Yeah, no, I, I'm good. I mean, no offense to you or yeah, you, yeah, yeah. but- uh, It could be our next we'll episode two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> episode two in the yeah. sky. Right, right. <laughs> so we've got a couple minutes left. You, just um, I, one thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, what is the unique pressure that probably you and I both feel having grown up in this town, moving away for college, doing some things at college and then coming back. Do you feel, is that, was it, you feel um, any unique pressure of living in your own old hometown that is, I mean, Ford's a big city, but it's a small town, right? right so sure. uh, I, I, I guess so. I mean, it's, you're kind of always wearing it on your back. Yep. wherever you go yeah you know that there's a different standard that we have for people here that than they do anywhere else and i don't want to compare cities or anything but you're right i mean we've got a million people in tarrant county almost you feel like right? you know all of them right? like, yeah <laughs> like i could walk outside to my truck and run into two people yeah. i'm like yeah. what in the world so but you're right it does bring a little bit of pressure to you and and uh especially you know being being from here and going to Pascal, you're the biggest it's the biggest public high school yep. in town and uh i want my kids to go to Pascal. my dad went to Pascal. ben hogan went to central high school which is now Pascal. <laughs> so um it's just if you're you're born and raised here you, you you go through the fort worth isd system and and then you yeah you go off to college but you come back and you marry another i married T- man who went to tcu she went to country day she's been here her whole life you know we are fort worth through and through right and uh i would find it almost impossible for us to live anywhere else but you're right that does come with a sort of standard that you, that you have to hold yourself to um and i wasn't great at that as a kid that's been very documented but cantankerous nature as a 12 year old doesn't always equate to anything as a sure right absolutely as an adult so yeah I, I try to try to represent fort worth well and um sometimes i fail at that sometimes i'm good at it you know it just depends on the day it's like golf there's bad shots and good shots that's right you bet so i guess we'll leave you for this what is kind of if you were going to talk to a 12 year old you mm-hmm. what is the one lesson you've kind of learned over your last 20 years that you would say hey John, you may want to do this more or do this less. Or this is, 
it was good you went through that or whatever the case may be. Gosh, that's a tough one. I, I would probably say just appreciate the people around you more. I've had, for whatever reason, people have been dying lately, you know, like the last mm -hmm. couple of years. And, um, I wish I had talked to a couple people longer and, 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 you know, made amends with other folks that I didn't. Uh, but as far as golf goes, uh, as a 12 year old, I wish I'd hit a lot more three footers because <laughs> I certainly missed my fair share of those. Uh, but that, that's probably it. You know, I wish I'd have putt more. I, I, I got real good at all the stuff that didn't involve the putting. Yeah. And, uh, I, I was, I think there were 215 guys on the PGA tour and I was not in the top 200 any year. So could have done a lot better if I well, putted better. Well, we're glad you're here and, and we could talk for hours, but we appreciate your, your time. And, uh, thanks for all your support of the Benhogan foundation. You bet. Yeah, you, know, you bet.